Let's get this party started. Hello everyone, and welcome to the December episode of Tinsel Tunes. It's coming at you a little bit early this month, so it gives you time to enjoy a Christmas gift to you all. And that gift is to introduce my guest host for this episode. These are two voices that you would have definitely heard, and those voices belong to Scott and Jay from the Jingle Jank podcast. Hi guys! Feliz Navidad. Thanks for having us on, Dwayne. We really appreciate it. You're the first guest that I've had on the Tinsel Tunes in three years, so I'm glad to have you here. You said that you were having a hard time getting in all your Christmas stuff and your light display and everything and and doing the research, so I thought maybe we could do some of the heavy lifting for you and, and come on with you today. What do you think? Oh, I think it's amazing. Thank you for your help. We may have a bit of a news for people at the uh, partway through the episode, perhaps, that uh, might be a bit of a Christmas gift to them as well. Let's see. Let's find out. Yeah. Why don't we talk about Silent Night today? I'm so excited and honored to be here. Jay, I, I can't speak for you, but I, this is a huge honor. It definitely is a huge honor. We're glad to be here, and we really appreciate the opportunity to come and sit in with you, Dwayne, on the December episode. And uh, I think we've got a very interesting topic. Uh, and for us, Scott, this is really fun because we're going to be able to approach this from a little bit different angle than we do in our other show. Yeah, on Jingle Jank, we deal in the obscure and the offbeat, and uh, sometimes that paints us into a corner. We don't get to talk about the really wonderful Christmas music that's popular or that we want to or the artists everybody knows. So it's a real treat to be here today and to be able to talk about Silent Night. I, Jay, I'm sure we've played Silent Night on Jingle Jank, but if we have, it's some weirdo version. Obviously, that's what we do in our show, but I'm excited to talk about the Bing Crosbys and, and Andy Williams of the world. How about you? Yeah, definitely. And if we have talked about it, Scott, it, it's always been from more of a, a niche angle. Yeah. I'm also really excited to talk a little bit, too, about the history of the song. So I think we're going to get into some of that, too. Yeah, I hope so. Dwayne, why don't you take it away and uh, and just let us know what we can do to help here? Well, one big help would be, I believe Jay's researched the history of the song and would like to share that with us. Jay is our resident musicologist and pop culture expert. So Jay, I know you've done a bunch of research here, but you, me, and Dwayne, we're all about the same age, and I'm sure we are all very familiar with the story of Silent Night as told by John Denver in the album A Christmas Together from 1979. So let me play that little 40-second or so clip, okay? You bet. Sounds good. On December 24th, 1818, the curate of a parish in Oberndorf, Austria, Joseph Moore, gave a poem that he had written to a friend of his, Franz Gruber, who was also the choir master and organist in that church. He asked Mr. Gruber if he would write music for his poem, and that he might write it for two solo voices and guitar accompaniment. Because the organ being broken, he desperately wanted music to be part of their Christmas Eve service. Mr. Gruber wrote the melody to a song which has become the most beloved of all Christmas carols. Stille Nacht. Silent Night. So Jay, that's a beautiful story, but it may not be the whole story. So why don't you fill some pieces in here and dispel some myths? Yeah, you bet. Silent Night, easily one of the most famous Christmas songs. And I think to be technical here, Christmas Carol, correct? Because this is a uh, yep. religious song in nature. And as uh, I will uh, share with you now, written by a young Catholic priest, I believe in 1816, two years before it was first performed on Christmas Eve, uh, as Mr. Denver shared with us, in what is now present-day 
Austria, but at the time I think was the Austrian Empire or uh, some other country, but post-Napoleonic Wars in the early parts of uh, the 1800s. So that is the origin of who wrote this song, and today still one of the most popular songs uh, ever written. And as Mr. Denver pointed out, the words were written by a Catholic priest, and it's my understanding that at the time the, the song was written, it was following the post-Napoleonic War period, which in this region of the world had been uh, ravaged by conflict for a significant period of time. And the poem Still Nacht, I don't know if I'm uh, pronouncing that right. Stille Nacht. Stille Nacht. Yep. Okay, very good. Translating loosely to Silent Night. Loosely or directly. <laughs> or directly. So he wrote this poem as sort of a reflection on a particularly, spoiler alert, Silent Night. Two years later would hook up with Franz Gruber, who was an acquaintance of his and a school teacher uh, in neighboring Arnsdorf, uh, and he was also a church choir master and organist. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the organ part in a moment, so I want to put a pin in that, but Franz Gruber composed the music on the same day that they performed the song together that Christmas Eve. Also, often um, not discussed, Gruber would go on 170 years later to launch a terrorist takeover of Nakatomi Plaza on Christmas Eve. Nope, nope, that was Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber, Jay. Different Gruber, I'm sorry. Okay. No relation as far as we know. Right, okay, I'm sorry. Franz Gruber would then go on and compose the music for the song on the same night that they performed it. So there's like a whole uh, cosmic perfect storm here where if you think about what are the what are the chances that somebody would write a poem, compose the music. Now the poem was written 2 years earlier, but these two guys get together, put music with words, perform it uh, and to this day, it's still one of the greatest Christmas songs ever. You know, that to me just seems like kind of like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Uh, but I'll stop there for a second, Scott. That is the genesis or the origin story of where the song came from, but there's more to it than that. Yeah, I was doing a little research as well, and I'm interested in the part about the organ being broken, because according to some research I found, it's apocryphal. It can be traced to a story that was written in the United States in the 1930s, a fictional story. And in 1995, there was an original composition found where Franz Gruber and Joseph Moore's name were at the top, and it was composed for guitar. So the story of, well, it had to be done for guitar because the organ was broken, that may not actually be the case. But we weren't there. I don't know how you like to handle those things. We can't know with certainty what really happened. But my question to you, Jay, is does it really matter? Yeah, I, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure that it does. And I think Gruber is widely known or credited as being both the composer and the uh, of the music and the writer of the song, which obviously is not true. As you said, in 95, they found a copy of the original manuscript. Uh, and what I thought was interesting is there was sort of a Mythbusters element to this where they were able to scientifically prove that the manuscript was written in 1820 and that it was in Joseph Moore's handwriting four years after the song was originally written it was just a version a copy of it it wasn't the original the fact that they were able to tie it to him and tie it to 1820 and there's i think some other notes on the original on this manuscript supports that he wrote the words and that gruber wrote the music okay and Dwayne, when I suggested Silent Night, you mentioned that Tim Babb had already done this on an episode. I did go back and check. It was in uh, 2017. So that felt like ancient history and like enough time had gone by that it's okay for us to do this one today. How do you feel about it? 
so yes, no, with what I found with doing years of research on the songs is their origin stories can be quite varied. And as you know, the stories can get twisted and turned over the course of centuries. And, and this is one of those songs that you hear the public opinion, but when you start diving deep into them, then you start to see a few things that uh, haven't come up before. Okay. And, and in fact, I would have taken, and nothing against Tim and his research, and definitely his humour. I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I don't think it was mentioned about the fact that Joseph Moore's handwriting had been dated to 1820 after the fact, which pretty much negates the, the story about the um, organ. You don't hear that a lot, and... When you start researching, that's when all this stuff comes up. And that's why I started Tinsel Tunes to, to start with, is to get into the nitty-gritty of these songs. Yeah, I love this. This has been so interesting to dive deep yeah. into that. I'll pose the same question to you, Dwayne. Does it really matter what the origin is? Is it the result that we care about? Exactly. I think I like to know the origin loosely around songs. And so it doesn't have to be exact that you're going to be in a pub quiz and, you know, and they can say, when was Silent Night uh, first performed? And you go, you know, uh, it's like 1820. You go, no, it was 1818. Or no, there's been researchers who have now since found out that 1820, you know, and you just get into the nitty gritty yeah. of it. At the end of the day, it is the result. It's the, it's the versions that we love. It's the artists that we love to hear sing them. Um, and sometimes, and in fact, it's happened just recently. Somebody at work was talking about a song, and I popped up and said, "No, well, actually, you know," and I had to correct them. <laughs> and I said, well, "If you really want to know, you know, listen to episode number blah blah blah." And uh, um, yep. afterwards, I thought, "Oh, that sounded like it was coming across as a bit of a know-it-all." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was grandma that got run over yeah, by a reindeer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. no, to answer your question, I think it's the result that's important, and the fact that these songs have lasted decades, centuries, um, that, that they are just so good and they keep getting reproduced you know, year after year. So. Jay, did you mention that it's been sung in 140 languages? Because that part blows my mind. Uh, yeah, 140 languages. And I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 730 different versions of the song have been recorded that we know of. Uh, so a pretty broad spread. That's a good segue. Why don't I dive into the musical history yeah. of it? Uh, Silent Night has been recorded at least 733 times over the past 36 years alone. So we don't know the totality of it, but there's no denying that it's massively massively popular. If you search for the word Silent Night on Discogs.com, you get 46,612 results. So that's way more than 733. I don't know exactly what that is because I obviously didn't go through all 46,000 results, but it's a lot. And that's just to impress upon you that, my goodness, this is a popular song. It's the sixth best-selling single of all time. I think it still holds the record for the most recorded Christmas song of all time. I think that's correct. I don't have yeah. that in front of me, but that does sound right to me as well yeah because Bing Crosby's version sold 10 million copies alone yeah in 1935 or since 1935 yeah I'm pretty sure it's number one by a sig like a very very wide margin yeah in 2014 Time Magazine declared Silent Night the most popular Christmas song ever based on analysis of US Copyright Office claims dating to 1978 in the past four decades alone, artists have recorded more than 730 versions, so that jives with what we said a little earlier, and that's nearly twice as many as number two on the list, which is Joy to the World. And I think that's cool, Jay, that the second item on the list is also a Christmas carol. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, though, too, look at the lead that uh, Silent Night has on Joy to the World, commanding, I would say. Yeah. 
1935, American singer Bing Crosby popularized the track by releasing it as a single. It would become his most successful track of the 1930s, selling 30 million copies worldwide. In 1942, Crosby recorded the Irving Berlin song White Christmas. That track has estimated sales in excess of 50 million. And, Dwayne, I've heard 100 million as well. Yeah, yeah. I think when I did research on that, it was huge. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to an earlier episode of Tinsel Tunes in, on Bing Crosby, and I think you mentioned 100 million. So it's just yeah. a staggering, staggering number. So it's not the most popular single of all time, but my gosh, is it up there. The notes I have here say that the song was circulated during the 19th century by missionaries and traveling singing groups. Historians believe the American debut came in 1839 when the Rainier family singers, a traveling group from Austria, visited the Trinity Church in New York City. Two decades later in 1959, a Trinity priest, John Freeman Young, published the first English translation. So that's how it got from Germany to America and and most likely to the rest of the world. So... Dwayne, we put on social media that we were looking for listener submissions for their favorite versions of the song, and we will get to that. I also brought a number of versions of the song that are very popular and that I want to play. But before we do all that, why don't we play the big one, the Bing Crosby version, the gold standard, and just talk about that for a minute before we get into the others. What do you think? I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, sounds good. All right, here we go. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, Wayne, so that's the 1935 Bing Crosby version. Probably not the first recording of it. I believe there are earlier ones, but the first major recording of it, or the first one that had extreme popularity. Dwayne, this is a beautiful song. What's your personal connection with it? Um, my main personal connection would have been listening to it as as a child uh, at primary school. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I believe it was at the end of uh, one of the years of school, uh, before uh, the end of break. So being that Christmas is in summertime, the end of the year for us is in, is the actual end of everything. The end of school, the end, you, know, you go on annual leave when you're working, and it was played the last couple of days before the end of the year. And uh, I and I think that because there was this, and there was wish yourself a, a merry little Christmas. I want to wish you a merry Christmas, all by Bing Crosby at the same time. And every time one of those songs plays now, it just takes me back to being young, uh, not yeah, not being able to pinpoint the the actual time, but I just remember hearing those from being a, a young child. Wow, does it remind you of school being over as well? No, it it just reminds me of a simpler like, or yeah, definitely a I, simpler time. But but I do remember that uh, the year that I'm thinking of is we had paper chain decorations that we'd make uh, in December and then hang those up in the school. 
uh, in the class, and in the last two days, you had to take all that down and start fresh for the next year. And and that's oh, one of the memories cool. that just comes back related to listening to Bing Crosby uh, as, as a child, and in particular those three songs. But uh, as we'll get to soon, I actually have more of a... Um, a stronger hold on the song, uh, but not by Bing's version, but by another version, but we'll hear that later. Yeah, yeah. In a minute, we're going to play uh, some of our favorite versions. Jay, do you have any personal connection with the Bing Crosby Silent Night? I do, I do, but I'm, I am uh, just kind of reeling uh, and waxing and thinking about paper chains, red and green construction paper. Dwayne put that image in my mind now, so that, that's a good memory to go back to. So I asked you guys if we should start off playing what our three favorite versions are. Jay, we had a little bit of a discussion of does that violate journalistic integrity? We're not saying it's the best versions. We're just we're just saying these are our favorites. So uh, because this is Dwayne's show, why don't we play his favorite version first? How does that sound, Dwayne? Sounds great. All right. This is Dwayne's pick. This is Matthew Green's Orchestral Rainbow from 1974. Wayne, I love that trippy 70 orchestra groovy feel in the background. What's your connection with this? Oh, yeah. So this is quite a strong connection. Um, Mm -hmm. So back in the 1974, I would have been four years old, but I would have heard this in the uh, late 70s. My dad was in a band and his lead singer had this album and still has this album on record. It only came out on record. It released two versions, one in Australia and New Zealand and one in Britain. The lead singer brought it around uh, one year and played it, and Dad quickly then, um, dare I say, copied it onto cassette. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yep, and uh, backed it up, right? Backed it up, <laughs> yeah, for posterity. And yeah, uh, that's right, archival <laughs> purposes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that cassette got absolutely thrashed yes. and lost, and uh, then had to have another recording done. So this song, the whole album, is equally as important to me as this song. Uh, in between the songs, there is actually a very watered-down uh, storytelling of the Christmas Carol in between it. Oh, okay. But the songs don't relate to the Christmas Carol at all. It's like it's taking the Christmas Carol story, all these popular songs, and they don't relate, but it works. And, and it's a little kid with a old-timely English accent telling a bit of a story in, in between. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, Jay, we're going to have to check that out. Maybe we'll bring that to Jingle Jank one day. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about your favorite version? Yeah, so my favorite version is the 1987 Stevie Nicks version. That I think uh, probably a lot of people's favorite version, so not a, an obscure poll on my part for sure, but it was on the Very Special Christmas album, the first Very Special Christmas album, which was... Yep. Yeah, it just happens to be like right in the bullseye of my formative Christmas years, we'll say. Let me play a clip from that, Jay, and then we'll talk about some of its cultural implications. Here we go.
Jay, I looked that one up, and it is indeed the last track on the album, A Very Special Christmas from 1987. And I don't think that was an accident. I don't go to church anymore, but as a boy I did, and I remember the Christmas Eve service always ending with Silent Night, and I feel like it's a really nice way to wrap up the album. What's your connection with it that makes you like it so much? Yeah, so it, you know the year was 1987, so I would have been... Um, 11? Yeah, 11 years old, so it was just kind of like that crucible, formative Christmas time in life when you're really starting to come into... Uh, where those real memories begin, especially now. And uh, it was the, I think, too, the fact that it was popular artists singing songs that were, you know, new songs and also some old classics, right? So, uh, and Stevie Nicks was not a popular artist at the the time. Fleetwood Mac was, was, you know, broken up, I think, in 1987. And I don't know what she was doing for a solo career at the time. But, you know, as compared to, like, Run DMC, the album is so much more of a, it, it is such a cult cultural milestone and in the music world never mind just christmas music so it's huge in that right so you know it's probably almost even unfair because it's like you could say any version of any song on this album that was ever that was a cover my favorite version is probably the one from this album and we talked about that on a recent jingle jank episode about how christmas music had gotten very stale as of the mid 80s and it was a groundbreaking that this album came out and um it was kind of like a shot in the arm for Christmas music with popular stars. And to this day, I hold it uh, as a very special place. It's, well, it's a very special Christmas. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. Dwayne, do you like that album? I, I, I sort of do. I covered that album with, uh, or the video of that album with Jerry um, a couple of episodes, or a few episodes ago. Oh, okay. And this is definitely one of the highlights of the TV special and the album. Uh, and this would have been my second pick. I knew one of you two would have picked the song, and I hold the other versions yeah. in, in a higher uh, light than, than this one. But these, my version and Stevie Nicks' version are definitely two of the, the best versions that, that exist, I feel. In saying that, okay. I think there are definitely other versions that could be better, but you don't know of them. That that be orchestral ones that you, you might walk down the street and you have a choir and they're singing silent night and that can come out absolutely amazing but you just never see it recorded or hear it recorded sometimes the version that you love the most doesn't necessarily mean it's the best or what you consider best it might just have a Mm. a temporal connection to your life yeah all right can i play my favorite version guys no no okay that wasn't the deal (laughs) (laughs) so my favorite version is by boys to men from 1993 Now, that's not my favorite version because I think it's the best version. It's my favorite because it's linked to a memory I have of watching uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in 1993. There's an episode where, where um, what's his name on the show? The Fresh Prince? Yeah, what was Will Smith's character's <laughs> name? Will. Was it Will? It was just Will. Okay. Yeah, sure of it. So, 
<laughs> so in that episode, Will tells everybody that he can get boys to men to come to his, uh, I believe it's like his goddaughter's or, or his cousin's, I think it's his cousin, his cousin's christening. And the lie kind of spins out of control and everybody starts saying, oh, I can't wait to see boys to men. And then he's, he's stuck in this lie and he gets up at the church at the end and says, all right, everybody, I, you know, I've, I've got something to admit here. And right before he spills the beans that he couldn't make it happen, all four boys to men walk in and start singing this. And it was just a, it, it's just a point in time of my life that I, I just remember that episode. Well, it's one of the first times that it stood out to me, Jay, that my gosh, these guys can sing and this is a beautiful song. So that's why I like this one. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, I, def- I, I don't have the same memory of the Fresh Prince episode, although I, it, it definitely seems a little bit familiar. But I think it's funny how it, it, it really is a matter of which which memory you have or like where the imprint comes from. It's not yeah. necessarily the version of the song. It's what was happening at the time. Yeah. Uh, there's one more thing I like about this one. Uh, Dwayne, I'm going to take a, little, a quick musical turn here because in this version... Boys to Men does something that I find very interesting. So let me play a tiny clip here of the part that I like. Holy infant, so here it comes. So this this song is in the key of D major. At the point where they would go back down to a D major, they actually bring it up to a D major minor seventh. In musical terms, it's kind of known as a barbershop quartet chord. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to try to get it. I'm, I might I might have to not. So it goes, holy infant so tender and mild. But instead of going mild, they bring it up and they have the flattened seventh there. So it goes tender and mild. And that part I just really stood out to me that they did that. I don't hear that in a lot of versions. And last night when I was listening, it just really hit me when I was listening to it last night. And uh, I started going down a rabbit hole of barbershop quartet Christmas music. But that's a whole nother show, Jay. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, holy infant, tender and mild. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What's interesting about your pick here, too, is the acapella nature, right? Like, uh, we started off talking about the history of the song, and I kind of feel like going back and being like, Franz, you didn't need to share this mm. one, buddy. Just get up there and sing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and sorry, Scott, yeah, based, based on what you just said, you know, those little twists that artists bring into a well-known song makes can make it their own. Uh, f- further on from the little sample you played, also liked the um, the the bass voice. Oh, I love the bass. He leaves everybody else and goes down even further. Yeah, I, I wish I had that deep bass voice. I I just love that. Same with pentatonics. Yeah. Probably all acapella groups. I just love that that low resonant rumble exactly. and and that feeling of power that you get yeah. from it. And and when they split themselves off and do the opposite to what everyone else is doing, it just really brings something magical. Um, and I don't know if just the headphones that I use, but it really stands out on all the music that I listen to. And um, yeah, when when that happens, it just you know sort of shivers up your spine, and and uh, it just makes it quite special. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. All right, why don't I take off here and play a bunch of uh, a bunch of popular versions of this song? Why don't you guys make yourself a cup of coffee while I introduce these, and then we'll come back and talk about the listener submitted versions. How does that sound? Sounds good. Awesome. First up today, we have Elvis Presley from 1957. 
Union Next, we have Andy Williams from 1963. Here's our first version today that has percussion in it. This is The Temptations from 1968. This one is the first female vocalist we've heard today. This is The Carpenters from 1978. Next, we have a track from the Queen of Christmas herself, Mariah Carey, from her 1994 album. couple of modern day male superstars. This is Josh Groban from 2007. Josh has a very interesting voice. It sits somewhere between a high baritone and a low tenor. Next up is another male voice that also is between baritone and tenor. This is Michael Buble from 2011.
in heavenly peace. Here are a few pop versions of Silent Night. This is Justin Bieber from 2011. to admit this one really surprised me it's very light on accompaniment with just a piano and the tempo is noticeably slower than some of the others this is at 77 beats per minute here's a live version this is kelly clarkson featuring trisha yearwood and reba mcintyre from 2013 cut that clip to just the final verse so we could hear all three singers but I highly recommend checking out the YouTube video in the show notes so you can see the performances of all three of them and finally we have Pentatonix from 2014 really love the ending of this song with that almost monk-like chant at the end from singer Avi Kaplan. That was a bunch of the popular versions. So Dwayne put the call out on social media for people to submit their favorite versions of the song. So why don't we listen to some listener versions? The first one today is from both listener Matt Wheeler and Jerry Davila from the Totally Rad Christmas podcast. This is a bit of a different version. It's by a band called Deliverance from 1991. Here we go. Oh, oh, oh. 
I probably should have warned people if you're in the car with grandma, you might want to turn that down. So my apologies. Uh, Jay, Matt Wheeler never fails to send us unique versions, especially of, of metal songs. What did you think of it? I thought it was awesome. I was really excited when I heard it was by a band named Deliverance. And I had like a, like a picture of Nick Ned Beatty in my, in my mind. But um, <laughs> I really liked it. And I, I would pose a hypothesis or whatever we should call it that you cannot mess this song up. Like, there's no way to... Re- this song is just perfect. Like, you can't screw it up. If you just say the words, you can't mess it up. Yeah, that's true. Dwayne, what do you think of this version? I absolutely loved it. Uh, being a metalhead at heart, uh, I actually get vibes of Bruce Dickinson's voice when I was listening to it. And who's Bruce Dickinson? Lead singer of Iron Maiden, one of the best brains of all time. Uh, of course I knew that. <laughs> I was just uh, make, raising the question for the benefit of the listeners in there. Yeah, I know. Dwayne, can I, I want to break the fourth wall, and I, I don't know if I can dime you out to our listeners and to your listeners that you've got this like awesome setup. There's a drum set behind Dwayne. I can see a skull. There's like this really... <laughs> like <laughs> Black walls. Yeah, it's just like... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I figured yeah. you'd enjoy that one. The next version is, is a little bit different. This one is from Adam Parker from the Mary Britsmas podcast. This is by a band called The Impression from 1991. And that was a pretty cool version, very Motown, and uh, I I know Adam is a huge Motown fan. He even has a Motown tattoo, so that made me smile when I was listening to it. Jay, it gave me California Raisins vibes, too, but that's just because of our age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, like, the, yeah, there was definitely, like, a little Motown Temptations kind of. Yeah, definitely. It would go well on a a summer playlist, too. Yeah, that's a good one. It is a really good one. Yeah. The next one, Jay, you mentioned choir. This one is a full-on choral version from Jerry Davila. This one's by a band called Collidian. What'd you guys think of that one? It's not my cup of tea, but it's very well done. Yeah, I liked it. I I tend to uh, like the less choral (laughs) versions myself, but... But that's an interesting point because this song can be done in a number of ways. You can do it as simply uh, like the Justin Bieber track we played a little earlier where it's just a voice and very light accompaniment, or you can go full over the top like this one is where it's almost like a... I want to, don't want to say an assault on your ears, but it's, um, you know, it's like the Memorex commercial where the guy's sitting in front of the TV and, it, it, you know, the TV's blowing his hair back kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, it's like a wall of noise, though. When you've got bands or individual artists singing it, they can take a part of that song, like, like we mentioned, and, yeah. and just adjust it accordingly to themselves, whereas the choral versions are pretty standard. And it's like a wall of noise that just comes at you and and you can't decipher individual bits too too much. Yeah, and I think it's hard to enjoy choral music in recording as much as you can when it's live. Yeah. If you're there attending it, there's a much different energy yeah. for the whole thing. 
This next version, this one is is really interesting. This one is from Scott Leopold from the Holly Jolly X Masu podcast. This one is by a guy named Huey Piano Smith from 1962. And I think that one was really, really cool. The note that Scott sent us was that it was scandalous at the time because you were not supposed to play Silent Night like that. And he said, I believe there were radio stations that banned it and possibly a couple record-burning events. Yeah, It was 1962. It doesn't seem that scandalous now. In fact, I really loved it, Jay. Yeah, I did too. It's got kind of a a Zydeco little flair to it. Yeah, a little New Orleans kind of thing there. Yeah. What do you think, Dwayne? Uh, I loved it. I like a bit of jive. And it had me going, you couldn't see my hands under the desk, but I was doing that. Okay. Yeah. So I really, really enjoy that. I'm going to hunt that out. Yeah. And the link for all of these, I'll put in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, The only thing I would say against it would be its actual quality. I don't know if that's because of the Zoom call or if that is uh, actually what it's going to sound like when I listen to it. Oh, we'll find out, I suppose. It's also from 1962. It, it may not be a pristine recording. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like it was definitely vintage in that regard. Yeah, but it definitely had a good feel to it. So the last song I have today is from Mike Westfall from the Advent Calendar House podcast, and I think it's a pretty fitting one. Uh, this is John Denver and the Muppets from the 1979 album A Christmas Together. At the top of the show, we played the part where John Denver was speaking the history of Silent Night. This is the actual music from it. So let's just play this clip. I think that's really beautiful to hear the original German lyrics, you know, the Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, Alles Schlaft, Einsam Wacht. What I find really neat about that song is on the album, that's the first pass-through of the song. It doesn't go to the English lyrics until the end of the song. So I thought that kind of paid tribute to what the original nature of the song was. What did you guys think? Yeah, I liked it as well. I liked the original. Uh, I like to hear the, the, I guess, the German version of it technically, right, would be the... yeah. Um, so I think I like that. And I think too, you're right. They don't, you don't hear that as much anymore either, where you see that, like where they go back and Mm -hmm. forth. Uh, so interesting choice that they would have started the album that way. Right. Yeah, exactly. It gives me a 99 Luftballoon. 
Yes, um, that, you know, I'm so, exactly. Yeah, there's <laughs> like that. And I know you're, you're, you're probably thinking of that Goldfinger version of it. I think you yeah. probably turned me on to that. Like, I always get with the German words of that, that version of that song, I always start feeling a little awkward. Like, <laughs> Jim, it sets a little angry, but it's a good tune. It's hard for us American kids to sing along with it in the car. Yeah. yeah. Dwayne, what do you think about this John Denver version? And I'm going to preface that by saying, in my house, this was probably my mother's favorite Christmas record. So it, it's near and dear to my heart because it always reminds me of of Christmases as a child. I don't know if it was if it's popular over in your part of the world. In my world, it isn't popular. I have to be honest. Oh, controversial take coming from Dwayne. Here we go. I, I, I didn't like it. Okay. I didn't like it. Uh, I don't do the Muppets. However, in saying that, sitting about three meters away from me, or <laughs> how many feet that is? About nine feet. <laughs> three feet per meter. Nine, yeah. nine ten feet. Maybe um, is a record of the Muppet Show from back in the 70s that I got out of my dad's collection just recently. Oh, that's So cool. we listened to an actual record of a show, but prior to that and the TV shows, Muppets haven't been in my life. Okay. Um, but as far as the song goes, um, I wouldn't put it on a playlist, but there's nothing wrong with it. Your comment kind of speaks to me because there's a version of this for everybody. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So guys, um, have a look under your chairs right now. All right, hold on. Let's see here. Okay, I've got an envelope. Jay, do you have an envelope? What do we got here? Yeah, I got an envelope All as right, well. I'm opening it up, and there's a golden ticket inside. Whoa, look at this. A golden ticket, and I'm covered in tinsel. What's this golden ticket for, Dwayne? Okay, so that golden ticket gave you entrance into a secret ballot that I was running, and through the course of the episode... Other hosts have actually dropped away. That's why you haven't heard of them. And you guys are the winners of the tour of Tinsel Tunes. This is like Willy Wonka here. What do we win? It is Willy. Yes, so I'm Willy Wonka. And you guys are Charlie and Grandpa. Okay. Fair I'll enough. you figure out who's who. We know who's older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than Jay by a few months. Yeah. Um, and as a prize for getting to the end, I would like to give you guys Tinsel Tunes to take from here and take it into the future where you want it to go. How do you feel about that? We would be absolutely honored to pick up the torch and continue to carry it on. I think you've built this amazing show over the past three years now, a very loyal base of listeners and wonderful people who write in and give you suggestions all the time. And uh, Jay, I can't speak for you, but I, I, you know, I would love to do this, and I think we could do it well, and I think we could treat it with the deference that's required. What do you think? I think absolutely, Scott. I couldn't agree more. And Dwayne, I think uh, I agree with Scott. We're honored and we are eager to be stewards of the Tinsel Tunes ship and, and are honored to have the opportunity to steer it moving forward and really, really appreciate it. So, Dwayne, before you get into the glass elevator here... Will you come back and guest host with us sometimes or pop in when you feel like it? What do you think? Yes, yes, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on you guys. <laughs> um, even though I'm handing it over, it is yours to be handed over uh, with. So I will pop in. I'll do some guest hosting. In fact, when I was on your guys' show last time, we mentioned Brian Setzer Orchestra yeah. and perhaps doing an episode, and we never followed that up. So perhaps sometime in next year, I could come back and we do an episode on Brian Setzer's uh, Christmas albums. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I'd like that a lot. Yeah. And it's also been thrown around recently, even from other podcast hosts, to do a heavy metal yes. version of different songs. So I could come back for that, uh, if you like. That would be fantastic. We know that, as you mentioned online on your, in one of your posts last month, you want to spend more time doing family stuff and with your drumming. And we totally get that. But we would 
like to extend the offer to please come back whenever you feel like it. We would be honored to have you. And listeners, if you're freaking out right now, it's going to be okay. <laughs> We're not going to overhaul anything. This has been an especially long show because it's, which is a little different than most of the Tinsel Tunes episodes, but we're going to keep the format the same. We're going to talk about the history. We're going to play some songs. We're going to get listener submissions and they'll probably be much shorter than this. So don't worry. That's right. Remain calm. Yeah. I'm not abandoning anyone. I'm just uh, sidestepping for a little while uh, just to get a few things sorted in in my life. Uh, I just couldn't devote uh, the time that Tinsel Tunes really needed to deliver really interesting and uh, good episodes well did we do that today that's what i want to know Dwayne. i think you did i think you'd be very impressed well i I can tell you (laughs) firsthand and i can speak for jay on this one it is a lot of time the research you know it's it's not trivial we want to do the best that we possibly can and then editing it so you know it, it may come out as a 30 minute or 45 minute episode but many many hours go into it and it's a labor of love it is and also If you're a Jingle Jank listener, don't freak out either. Jingle Jank isn't going anywhere. We're probably going to do less episodes, but we're going to keep that. Jay, for you and I to do our banter, to have our friends on and and guest hosts, and probably do more of those who sang it better kind of things where somebody brings a song and then we try to bring obscure versions. I want to keep Tinsel Tunes mostly the way it is, a little bit more buttoned up, and we'll let our hair down on Jingle Jank, and we'd love to have you over there if you haven't come over yet. Yeah, absolutely. Gives uh, gives a little bit more range, right? More opportunity and and topics to cover. And I will say this, just one last comment, Dwayne. Scott talked to me about this and and this opportunity. You know, and for our listeners' sake, this is something we do for fun and because we love Christmas music. We don't do this to make money. But there's a feeling when you have when you're engaged in a hobby and you realize that you really care about it and you're taking it very seriously. And I could tell you uh, with absolute certainty that stepping into the show and taking over and being stewards of Tinsel Tunes is something that both Scott and I are taking very seriously. And I think it was obvious to both of us getting ready for this too, that like, this is something that means a yeah. lot. And I think when you recognize that it's a good litmus test or bar or whatever to know that something is important and meaningful. So we really appreciate the opportunity and uh, we'll do very well to take good care of the show. Yeah. Thank you, Dwayne. When I had to put out the post that I wasn't probably going to be doing any episodes for Christmas because of the Christmas lights. Uh, and, and to be honest, the lighting has taken all my time this this year work has just gone absolutely stupid that i I used to write the scripts and research through work Mm -hmm. time because i had time now i don't and then when i come home i'm super tired and i haven't got the energy to do that i'm back in the uh, the camp of needing another knee it's the other one this time oh Uh, yeah (laughs) so they don't build them like they used to jay yeah, right? They don't build us like they used to. Yeah. So that was the right one last time. Now it's the left one. The summer coming up for me, I, lo- I wanted to take a decent break away from everything. And I didn't want to kill Tinsel Tunes. It was like, people love this. I love doing it and I loved doing it. Um, it's just, I, I didn't feel I could give it enough love. So we couldn't let it die on the vine. That's exactly. No. And w- when you reached out to me, I thought this is absolutely awesome. I, I gave a little bit of thought and I thought, yes, this is the right thing to do. So oh, great. So listeners, you guys are in great hands with Jay and Scott. So I'm very, very pleased to pass it on. And Dwayne, I have a couple gifts for you from some other podcasters. I didn't actually prep you about this ahead of time here, so I have some messages. Are you ready? Yes, please. Okay. Hey, Dwayne, this is Sean from Christmas Podcast Podcast. Just popping in to say, I'm sad to see you go. I've been with you since almost you started, 
And when I started Christmas Podcast Podcasts, you were one of them that I really, really wanted to get on. And I'm so glad I've got the chance to hear your podcasts. I will be missing hearing your lovely Kiwi voice and just all your takes on it. But at the same time, I'm very excited to see where Jay and Scott are going to take Tinsel Tunes. You couldn't have left them in a better hands than Jay and Scott. Take care of yourself. Have fun with what you're going to do. And I wish you best of luck. And who knows? Maybe we'll hear you here and there on Tinsel Tunes in the future with Jay and Scott. So thank you for all the great songs, your great takes on everything. Thanks for Tinsel Tunes. Thanks for all your hard work and all your efforts you've put into it. You've done a great job and you can relax now knowing that it is in the good hands of Jay and Scott. Take care, my friend. Oh, that's awesome. Now, I have another one from Todd Killian. This one's a bit longer, so uh, brew your coffee. Well, hello, everybody. It's Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter, and I am here on this very special episode of Tinsel Tunes. It's kind of bittersweet. A lot of people don't know, but you know, Dwayne was influenced to start Tinsel Tunes by a Brian Earl Christmas Past video about starting podcasts on various Christmas subjects, and I seen that video too not long after it came out, and Tinsel Tunes was the name that just really stuck out in my head, it was near and dear, and then when I saw Dwayne take that idea and run with it a few months later, I was so excited and so inspired by him that I just knew that you know he had saw it the same way I did, and, and it inspired him to begin Tinsel Tunes, and then that inspired me to then start Christmas Clatter. I guess our two different podcasts started about, I don't know, six months or so apart from each other with him a little bit of a head start. Behind the scenes, me and Dwayne spent a lot of time messaging back and forth. How do you get better audio quality? I did this. Try it. Oh, it works. I did this. You try it. We taught each other how to run Audacity and how to edit sound and how to make our podcast sound as good as it can for a couple guys just learning on the fly and trying to put out something that people would enjoy. He became one of my first friends in podcasting halfway around the world and uh, I cherish his friendship. We don't message as much as we should once a month or so now, but Dwayne, we need to fix that. I need to uh, be sure to reach out more often than not, but there for a while we were almost daily on the messengers, uh, shooting ideas back and forth and checking in on each other. We had that big Christmas song countdown showdown where we each picked 50 songs and to try to promote our podcasts and to get them to grow. Dwayne, I I will definitely miss your voice and miss your presence on Tinsel Tunes, but I completely understand and you are leaving Tinsel Tunes in very capable hands. Scott and Jay have done wonderful things with Jingle Jank. I've worked with them on several episodes of Christmas Clatter of Jingle Jank as well and they are top-notch people and they will do you and tinsel tunes proud and they will carry on a legacy that you have established Dwayne, don't be a stranger in the christmas podcasting world you're welcome here at christmas clatter anytime and i'm sure scott and jay will love to have you on anytime that you want to be good luck in your future endeavors and scott Jay, good luck with Tinsel Tunes. And I want to remind the three of you, Dwayne, Scott, Jay, keep Christmas hope alive every day.
Jay, is it uh, dusty in here, or is it just me? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, isn't it? You're crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Todd. And I have one more from Jerry Davila. Hey, Dwayne, this is Jerry D. from the Totally Rad Christmas Podcast. I just want to thank you for all the wonderful music you've introduced to all of us listeners. And, you know, thank you for starting Tinsel Tunes. I'm excited to see where the show's going to go. I wish you all the best. Thank you. I, from the bottom of my heart, I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you. So, Dwayne, that was, those are some messages of, uh, from the people that you, whose lives you've really touched here. Do you have any closing thoughts? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. If you'd, if you'd rather pass, I'll, uh, I'll take it from here. No, it's okay. Uh, though that I've changed my mind, I'm staying. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> All no, right, I'll transfer um, the website back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, very, very touching. Um, as Todd mentioned, yeah, Brian helped me get started. And then um, me and Todd sort of supported each other through the start of our own podcast. Todd has been a huge amount of support from the from the start, um, even financially when I was doing Patreon. Um, and, and when I heard he was starting Christmas Clatter, it was just like, yes, you know, it's the community is growing. And this has been such a huge, huge honor to be part of this Christmas community. And I'm still going to stay as part. I'll be on the social medias. I'm still going to be an admin on Tinsel Tunes Facebook page. And, and I'm not going to be a stranger. Good. We'd like to have you back. You have a standing invite. Anytime you feel the urge to come on and talk about Christmas music, you're always welcome back. And the, on the plus side, you're not going to have to do any research or any editing. It's a pretty sweet deal, I think. On oh, no, all research, otherwise I'll just sit here and go, uh-huh, yes, I agree. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Dwayne. I appreciate it. Jay, any closing thoughts from you? I just want to say thank you so much, Dwayne, for the opportunity to uh, to step in and, again, to be stewards for the show. Thank you to the audience and listeners for giving us a chance. We hope to have an opportunity to entertain you, and we're really grateful to have that opportunity and looking forward to it, man. You'll hear from us again in January. Here's our promise to you. You're going to get 12 new episodes next year. I don't know the actual cadence on there, but I promise there will be 12 episodes of Tinsel Tunes, and we're very excited. They'll probably be shorter as well. If you want to find more information or get in touch with us or either tell us what you uh, what you like or what you don't like, just go to TinselTunes.com and you can find all that information. But until then, we'll see you in January. Merry Christmas, everybody. Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas. All music used in this episode is property of its respective copyright owner, and no infringement is intended. These clips were played under the expectation of fair use for purposes of education and commentary. You can find links to all the songs we played in the show notes.